Hello, I'm Joe Honeyhockey, and welcome to the Heavenly Social, where I introduce you to our heavenly brothers and sisters, friends looking to help you on your journey to the kingdom. And I'd say we could use all the help we can get, especially when the road gets cold and we begin to feel alone. Today, I'm going to introduce you to a friend who helped me out when I needed it most. So, I ask you, have you ever struggled with depression, anxiety, or some other mental illness? Do you still face this struggle? Then you have a powerful friend in heaven who will gladly help you and pray for you. Let me introduce you to the beautiful Saint Dymphna. And intro! To begin our introduction to this 7th century Irish princess, let us first take a look at her patronage. This includes those with mental illnesses and nervous disorders, uh, victims of incest, epileptics, and mental health professionals, so your psychiatrists and your therapists. Why are these things her patronage, you may be asking? Well, as I've touched on before, a saint is someone who displays heroic virtue. So, what is the story of Saint Dymphna? Hehe, <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. Our story begins in Ireland, sometime in the 600s AD. Our dear Dymphna was born to the pagan king Damon and a Christian mother of legendary beauty. Dymphna followed the footsteps of her mother and was a devout Christian herself, going so far as to consecrate her virginity for the Lord. As the story goes, when Dymphna was around the age of 14, her mother died and no one took her death harder than King Damon. Maddened by the grief at the loss of his wife, he sent his court out to search for a woman to match the beauty of his once beloved. When they returned to report that no one adequate could be found, the idea was planted in the king's mind to turn his gaze toward his own daughter, who happened to be the spitting image of the woman he loved. So he proposed, and Dymphna, so repulsed by the proposition, refused, knowing that such a union would be an affront to God and the natural order. This isn't even to mention her consecration to the Lord. King Damon became furious, so Dymphna fled Ireland with her confessor, St. Garibrin. Let's just take a moment and appreciate that awesome name. Okay, well, Garibrin was the aged confessor, of St. Dymphna, and uh, they fled with two servants of the court. Sources I've found say it was the court jester and his wife, the others kind of leave them unnamed, but anyway, they fled to Belgium and settled down in the town of Giel, where it's said Dymphna used her wealth to establish a hospice for the sick. Now, you can bet King Damon wasn't about to leave things be. So, he had members of his court scouting for any clues as to where the princess may have gone. One scout stayed at an inn in Belgium, and upon paying with coin from his own kingdom, the innkeeper innocently made a comment about having seen a coin like that before. Upon pressing the matter, the scout determined that Dymphna had indeed set up in Giel. 
Well, he reported this to the king, and Damon himself traveled to Giel to offer the princess a final ultimatum. Now, upon arriving, he ordered his men to behead the priest Garabrin and the former servants of his court that had fled with them. Then, when that was done, he addressed Dymphna, offering her everything he had to give, that she might be his bride. After witnessing what had happened to her comrades, she knew what the other option was. Still, though, Dymphna's love of the Lord and her promise to the Lord was strong, and she told her father that she would not go with him. In a rage, King Damon drew his sword and beheaded his own daughter. The 15-year-old Dymphna died a virgin and martyr for her faith, which has resulted in her commonly being referred to as the Lily of the Ire. The residents of Giel erected a shrine in her honor, and has since been the location of countless miraculous healings of those with mental disorders. And it is no coincidence that Giel, Belgium, to this day, has an incredible model for treatment of those with mental conditions, in that it's deinstitutionalized. So this is where a patient is placed with a host family to gain that positive exposure to things like family life and uh, a broader community. Apparently, the earliest date of this sort of model in Giel dates back to the 13th century and is typically credited to St. Dymphna herself. All right, so why is she a saint? What was that heroic virtue that she showed to earn her that title? Two come to mind. The first being her chastity. She knew that she belonged to the Lord, and as such swore herself to him, honoring her promise even when faced with death. The second that stood out to me was her charity, meaning broadly love. Yes, she showed immense love for the poor, and especially the sick during her time in Giel. But I think the heroic display lies in how she handled and interacted with her father. If we take a look at King Damon's motivations, we see very simply that he was a man who missed his wife, and he just wanted his wife back. But... He took that grief and that wish to the extreme by wanting someone to replace her perfectly. When he first proposed to Dymphna, he stopped seeing her as his daughter, and he saw Dymphna as the replacement for his lost wife. He saw her as an ornament. Now, I, I can't imagine Dymphna feeling anything but pity for her father, and so... It was certainly an act of heroic charity to not entertain his distorted wishes, even when faced with death. And so she put as much space as she could uh, between her and her father. Or at, at least she tried. But her father couldn't let go of his delusions, unfortunately. Well, I think we've determined that St. Dymphna can aptly be described as awesome. And she was on my list of saints to cover on this show from the very beginning uh, because of how big of an impact her intercession had on my life and faith journey. Here is a brief look into who I was for a decade. Well, when I was in middle school, I was the target of some specific bullying that 
ended up hitting me really hard. And uh, due to the lack of action on the part of any authority figure, I decided to hide away in my own mind. I became so encased in the icy stillness of my mind, my fantasies, that it was impossible for me to recognize when I was loved by another, and I believed myself incapable of love. Well, it's, that all led to its own sorts of problems. Well, I refused to acknowledge the genuine complexities, the strengths, and the imperfections of real people, and instead I replaced my company with friends and advice givers that were products of my imagination. All of their charm, their personality, and their struggles were completely artificial, created by me and controlled entirely by me. It was dark, it was cold, but it was also strangely beautiful. And I, I say it was beautiful because I decided that it would be. In reality, those things that swarmed my mind were hideous monstrosities, but in the darkness, I couldn't see them truly, so I was free to see them however I wanted to. As the years went on and the darkness grew scarier, I fought not against what the shadows were, but what I wanted them to be, which only served to reinforce the madness and the torment to the point where my own distortion became a source of pride. It was then when the darkness rooted itself deep within me, and I ceased to recognize that it was even there. Well, through the course of certain life events, I thought I had overcome the madness. And well, it was then that a metaphorical cavern of ice surrounded me, and everything became still. Despite my own delusions in thinking I had grown, whenever I faced reality and the vibrant change that occurs with it, I would become overwhelmed instantly and retreat to my little cavern without me even realizing I was doing it. Well, it was in this way I could fool myself into thinking I was a heroic figure, daring to face challenges, and that I deserved praise. Well, in reality, I was a pathetic soul, so gripped with fear of people and the world that I would subconsciously do everything I could to remain in the stillness of the cold. Alright, now I'd like to take a moment to kind of develop this image with the cold a bit more, uh, because in it, I believe, lies the reason why it took me so long to escape. Alright. Picture yourself on a cold day. It should be pretty easy, right, since it's November. Well, what is the thing people generally complain about the most during these chilly months? Well, they'll say something like, It's not the cold that bothers me, it's the wind. Aha. Uh -huh. So, that's where this starts. The wind, or even more basically, the movement of air that makes us aware of the cold. Alrighty, so what happens when there is no wind? Well, I don't know about you, but when there is no wind, I try to stay as still as possible, provided I can't actually go indoors. Because when I don't move, I'm not disturbing the air, and it can be possible to forget the cold. 
It isn't the cold that goes away, it's that the body becomes numb. And in that numbed state, movement becomes even more arduous and only serves as an even more acute reminder of the chilly environment. Though at this point, the body begins to shiver in an attempt to keep itself warm to survive. Well, in the same way, I firmly believe that when we encounter a spiritual cold, our conscience will shiver in an attempt to lead us back to the warmth of God. Because in God, our spirit survives. So to expound on this spiritual shiver just a little bit more, I would say it's something small but noticeable. Uh, such as when I may be faced with an option to either act or remain indifferent, I might feel that small tug towards action. Or perhaps when uh, a feeling that something isn't quite right with my actions, uh, whenever I may be acting immorally out of ignorance. That's the idea I'm going for there. Now, just as physically shivering isn't enough to survive in the cold, uh, neither is spiritually shivering. Well, as we know, when it's cold out, physically moving is far better than staying still. Even though moving might be very uncomfortable at first, because it's reminding you that it's cold out, well, be it jogging or walking or lumberjacking, we find that we warm up. Surprisingly quick, too. Uh, and even more so if the activity is more physically demanding. Now, I would say the same goes for the spiritual realm. The more we act on developing our virtue practicing uh, the Beatitudes and Commandments, and just all around, like, spiritually moving, uh, we'll find that our spirits warm up, which, in turn, enables us to grow and to keep growing. Well, with all that said, sometimes I'd say even most of the time, we and I need something or someone to come along and tell us to move, or else we'll freeze. And this is, like, in my case, uh, could be multiple times in our lives. Well, my first realization of this came to me back in February of 2015, in the spring semester of my senior year at college. The Catholic Student Center there was offering a, a class once a week for a few weeks uh, that was over Theology of the Body, as presented by Christopher West. Well, due to a night class I was taking at the time, I couldn't stay for the entire video each week. But the 30 minutes or so I could catch hit me pretty hard, and I grasped just how lost and confused I had been for the past decade. I realized that, spiritually, I had been staying completely still. It was in the, the months that followed that the madness became like a turbulent whirlwind in an attempt to squelch this growing realization that I was broken and I needed to change. I needed to move. The darkness within me was threatened, and it wanted me to remain still like I had been. Well, I can say truly that I had never felt, and have never felt since, 
such a soul-shaking fear as when the light and the dark within me fought for control. The, this decades-long battle reached a critical point when I ended up being faced with the intense desire to just want it all to stop. I, I just wanted it to all go away. I was terrified at what I was seeing within me, and I was ashamed that I had been so blind for so long. Well, it was amidst this when I felt that I couldn't fight anymore. Well, that's when I met St. Dymphna. On May 14th of 2015, a dear friend of mine at the time handed me a prayer, just completely out of the blue. And, well, this prayer requested the intercession of St. Dymphna. And I can remember the date because it just so happens that the very next day, May 15th, is Dymphna's feast day, completely unbeknownst to my friend. So, so that is definitely a God moment there. Well, I mark that as the first moment in my life where I actually recognized a genuine act of love toward me. And it, now, it's not that I had never been loved before. It's that I finally had the capacity to accept it. I did not ask for this prayer, and I had told no one what I was going through over the course of those months because I refused to trust anyone. But there I was, faced with someone who felt, out of the blue, that I could use the help of St. Dymphna. No possible motive beyond simply seeing me helped. Well, eh, so I prayed. And with Dymphna's help, I broke free from that darkness that had held me for a decade. And she supported me on a path to radical change in my life. A path that has seen much peace. Now, don't get me wrong. This peace that I speak of doesn't mean that everything is rainbows and unicorns. This peace I speak of comes from an encouragement that I find continually prodding at my heart. That is, that God will take care of the heavy lifting. I just have to keep moving. That is what gives me a thrill in the face of my daily battles. That is how I further encourage myself by declaring that by the grace of God, one day my story will be counted among those of the saints. He won't leave you in the dark, and he won't leave you lying still in the cold if you don't want to be there. And what's his favorite way of working in our lives? Well, it's through the people around us. Our brothers and sisters, both here on earth and in heaven. So to close things out... Might I offer some advice to any of you who might identify with what I described myself having gone through? Uh, surround yourself with people you know to be Christ-like. Those who act in a selfless manner. People who are positive. Those people whose souls and actions can be described as beautiful. And perhaps, most importantly, that they themselves always seek beauty. There's a plethora of reasons across different areas of study that this advice tends to pop up. 
But simply speaking from my experience, I didn't hide myself away because I didn't want to experience beauty or anything like that. It's not that I didn't want Christ to be present in my life. It's that I was constantly being told what that looked like, but I wasn't seeing it anywhere. So I reasoned to myself, well, I don't need anyone to tell me these things. I'm perfectly capable of telling myself these things, and much, much more. So simply put, I set the standard for what I considered good and beautiful. And now that is incredibly dangerous, because I could justify getting furious at people for nothing. Which, as a side note, this is why relativism doesn't work. In setting the standard myself, that standard was highly variable, and ran the risk of allowing me to think horrible things were okay. As I mentioned in my story, I only realized how messed up my view was when I finally looked outside myself. So find people, as many people as you can, to be those examples. Look to the saints both recognized by the church and those in your own life. Speaking scientifically, the larger sample size you have, the clearer the picture you'll be able to see. The clearer the picture of beauty, the clearer the picture of Christ alive becomes. Then, it will be so much easier to navigate your way to becoming a saint. So, if you're dealing with any mental strife, be it depression, anxiety, or something else, I strongly encourage you to reach out to St. Dymphna, that by God's grace she might ease your heart as you venture down this path. So to help you get started, here is the prayer that so transformed my heart three years ago. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. St. Dymphna, I turn to you, dear Virgin and Martyr, confident of your power with God, and of your willingness to take my cause into your hands. I praise and bless the Lord for giving you to us as patron of the nervous and emotionally disturbed. I firmly hope that through your intercession, he will restore my lost serenity and peace of mind. May he speak to my heart and reassure me. My peace I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Pray for me, dear St. Dymphna, that my nervous and emotional turmoil may cease, and that I may know serenity and personal peace. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, that wraps up this episode. I sure hope you enjoyed it. Now remember, keep the faith, and one day somebody may just tell your story. Take care, and we'll see you next time. And outro. Well, in the same way, I firmly believe... Believe. <laughs> so to begin our introduction... Nope. Too British. <clears throat> hmm. Now I haven't talked about a sword fighter yet... Ooh, that'd be pretty cool. And I know we have quite a few of them. So, 
Tune in next time, and you'll get to hear the story of one epic sword fighter. Sayonara!